Our lives and cultures are made up of many overlapping stories. It's why I love fiction. The way it widens your imagination, teaches us how to embrace different experiences and feel what other people feel. I believe everyone should constantly find themselves in books. It's another form of escapism and the cheapest way to travel. I'm your host, Yolante Fowhidmi, a journalist who advocates for innovation and storytelling, and this is Black Prose, the podcast where black writers talk amongst themselves. Beautiful is the first word that comes to mind when I think about Caleb Azuma Nelson's writing. He first burst into the literary world in 2021 with his debut novel, Open Water, and guys, it blew me away. He wrote it in second-person narrative, which I think is a very hard thing to do, but he pulled it off. He also wrote it in a very rhythmic and poetic way, so it's almost very musical, almost like he's singing a song to you, which I really, really loved. He has since been recognised for his work with the Costa Book Awards and was also shortlisted for the Waterstones Book of the Year Awards. But what I'm most interested in is how he manages to build small worlds with his writing. And conveniently, Small Worlds is the name of his new book, which we're going to talk about today. How would you describe your writing? Vibes. Oh. (laughs) Okay. What does that mean? Atmosphere, texture. I'm so keen on like building this like big canvas of places and allowing as much texture and detail to come to a space so that my big thing is when I'm writing is feeling and emotion. I'm always trying to bridge this gap between the emotions and then the expression of the emotions and try and find a way to bend language so that that chasm that exists between the two is as small as possible. And so much of that comes from trying to give my language a sense of like a sonic quality, like a visuality, like trying to find ways of bringing in the other art forms that I'm interested in, intrigued in, and that I know might communicate emotions better sometimes into the text. And so it's rarely, I don't, like my work doesn't have like huge amounts of plot, but I'm always trying to like bring as much atmosphere and texture to the space as possible. Do you feel like sometimes you're restricted based on typical writing principles? And do you find that you're always trying to push against them in your writing? Because I never formally studied writing, the notion of like principles doesn't really, it's rare that I'm like, oh, this needs to come here or this needs to come here. It's always, again, it's always what feels right for the specific thing that's in front of me. I'm always trying to back away from trying to trying to stuff a feeling into a specific form. It's always like what the feeling dictates what how the form comes about, you know? Mm. Yeah, because in your new book, mm-hmm. Small Worlds, mm-hmm. one thing I was really interested in was how you created small worlds mm-hmm. within the book mm-hmm. and different communities via friendships, family settings, um, just one-off occasions where people met each other on the street. Mm-hmm. How have you managed to do that do that in your writing? I think it really started with Open Water and and act because the title from Open Water came from Small Worlds. There's a line in one of the chapters and the the idea of like creating these small pockets of spaces where black people specifically can house their freedom, like really it just really stuck with me. And I found myself as I was writing the novel, like really intrigued in the ways in which we can create space as twos or threes or like small groups or just like, or even with strangers, like when you're at a concert or a gig, that this feeling of being in a space that you have like intentionally created, that almost like doesn't function like the rest of the world does. Like it's a space where for like some brief moments you can just be free. And you also said that the book started off with an A5 piece of paper. Yeah. What does that mean? And also, you also wrote the book in three short bursts. Each like burst was like a month. Because that's all the time I had. Because I was on tour. That's so, very short. Yes, yeah, very, yeah. Open Water is what I wrote in just over three months. Because it feels like the work just stays in my mind for so long. And it's just gestating. And it's just like brewing. So by the time I get to the page, it's like, let's, let's go. There's actually like, we can't really be second guessing or looking back. It's like, it's all, it all has to come forth from that point. The A5 piece of paper... They've got a notebook, same with open water. And on one of the pages, I will just almost like list intentions. So I would be like, this is, this is the feed, these are the feelings I want. This is the narrative that I'm trying to explore. And 
it, it acts as like my North Star as, a, as such. It's like the thing that I'll always return to. Like what's, is this moving in the way that I want to? Is this providing more than I expected? Am I allowing space for surprise as well? Because I think with my writing, I'm not very, I don't plan a huge amount. So I'm always trying okay. to leave space for surprise with the work, you know? Is there a reason behind not planning as much? I can feel a bit restricted when I'm too, when I'm like this, this and this. I think so much of the work that I do feels like it's an act of faith. I come to the like a blank page each day. I know what the emotions I'm trying to express are, but I don't know what the narrative or the structure is. And I'm asking myself to find the best way in that moment to express the emotion, you know? So when did you first feel like a writer? Maybe when I was like 16 or 17. That's when I decided that I really wanted to do it, I that I would take it seriously. I knew for a long time that I wanted to be a writer, but but at that point I was like, this is the thing that I know I will do and will always do, whether that's in the public sphere or not. Like, I'll always be writing. And it began to feel real to me because it was real to me, you know? But you're also writing in secret. So mm. when I was um, doing research, mm. you were studying sports science mm -hmm. and you're writing in secret mm. and you're also were playing basketball. Yeah. So would you say writing was your plan B? Mm -hmm. And then two, why were you writing in secret? I guess the writing was always for me, you know, first and still is first and foremost. And so in a way, like writing was always the plan A, but there's also so much, there's so many other things I'm interested in. And I don't, I never would want to even now like limit myself because this is what I do now as like, a, a, it's, this is my thing. Like I, I'm always trying to expand beyond that. And so for me, I think for me, like not studying writing was a, was a really important thing because I knew that there would be this introduction of the limitations of this is how you're supposed to do this thing. And so much of the process that I enjoy is the ability to discover that on my own and discover what I like and what I don't like and try things and maybe they work and maybe they don't. Nothing's wasted for me. Like so many of the years that I spent writing on my own without like kind of any external sharing or communication really allowed me to hone in on my craft in a way that it really allowed me to hear my own voice. And so now it's like, that's the thing that I'm always looking for, like a return to my own voice. I want the text, even if it's not necessarily about me, even if it's fictional, to feel like me as much as possible. How did you actually find your voice? Apart from writing often and mm -hmm. writing alone, how did you actually discover that and hone it as well? I think I spend a lot of time trying to listen to to my voice, which is, is a strange thing as a as a writer because so much of the work is on the page but I think almost like trying to listen to my internal voice and I think because rhythm is so important to my work and this sense of like musicality like I'm always trying to hear when things feel right because if it sounds right in my mind it's going to feel right on the page too. I was actually going to ask you about this later on about mm -hmm. rhythm and mm -hmm. how music influences your writing. Mm -hmm. How do you actually write in a rhythmic way because when we listen to songs, mm -hmm. we, there's different, there's rhymes, mm -hmm. there's repetition, mm -hmm. there's all these different things that I think mirror your writing. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of repetition in yeah, your yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. How have you been able to find rhythm in your writing? And why was that something that you decided to explore? There was a point maybe, I want to say 2017, and there was uh, there's an African-American artist, Arthur Jafer, who I heard speak at the Serpentine Gallery, and it was unlike any other art talk I'd been to. Like, I walked in, and he's playing Jay-Z, like, real loud, like, super loud. Everyone's looking very confused <laughs> at what's going on tonight. And he's just a super cool guy. Like, work is incredible. Um, he's a bit, like, mostly visual artist and plays a lot with sound. And he was speaking about, like, the pillar of his practice, which was this notion that, like, black music was the only space that black people were able to find freedom. And that was, that was a really big moment for me because, like, it wasn't necessarily that I explicitly believed that, but there was part of me which understood some of that to be true. And I also wanted to push and pull at the idea and with my own work and see how far I could push it. And so Open Water was the first sort of step into that space where I thought, how can I allow both this narrative but also myself to be afforded a sense of freedom with by like exploring the musicality of the work and my own voice? And so I really tried to like push that with open water and then small worlds felt like more of a refinement of that 
I don't want to st- say star more that voice, like trying to trying to find a, a way of honing in on the things that music does that you can't always do with writing. So that repetition, the kind of like ways in which you can you can like take someone along with a with a cadence, or you can like encourage someone to pause with a break in the text. Like those, so many of those things are really intentional to my work, and are trying to find a way of expanding the work beyond just the page. You know. Would you say that's a reason why a lot of your characters, for example, Stephen and Del mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Small Worlds, mm-hmm. they're both musicians mm-hmm. and you've spoken quite a lot about how jazz, there's no real start and end mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to make them jazz musicians? And also why are your characters always creatives? Yeah. What about creatives and jazz musicians inspired you in this, in this story? Mm-hmm. I think with... With Small World specifically, I knew I wanted to write. I knew I wanted to write about jazz because of this this notion of creation by way of improvisation. I'm so interested in what happens when you really lean into a space and allow, trust yourself, like allow yourself to go towards a place that you don't know, but that something might emerge from. I think with jazz, it's like there are standards and there are things, there are like choruses and there are refrains where things that come back, but so much of it is meandering and wandering, and that's the way that I wanted to write this novel. Like, Open Water is a very precise novel; like, it's very clean, it's very tight. And with this, like, I felt like I was, I felt like I was a drummer who was playing like very messily, like allowing myself to, to have that sense of precision, but to be loose with that sense of precision to allow like sentences to run, to allow like the music to like keep going past the point where you might stop it. You know, with both Stephen and Nell, like I. I wanted their music to spill into the narrative to feel like to feel like it was like two people two soloists like entering this this duet this and forming this chorus you know. Yeah that's really interesting you said that because it almost was their own spoken language mm-hmm. especially because mm-hmm. they like each other. Yeah. But they're young trying yeah. to figure out their feelings. Yeah. So it is really interesting how music and songs can mm-hmm. almost say what we're trying to say. Mm-hmm. For example one part that I really loved was when it was their prom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Del thought Stephen was going to ask her, mm-hmm, but he mm-hmm, didn't. Mm-hmm. And then another guy did. Yeah. And then she says he owe me a, a dance mm-hmm. and they dance outside her flat. Mm-hmm. And just even like that moment, mm-hmm. there's no music. Yeah, but there is. It's like, it's always... Exa- exactly. It's always there. I think something I was really, something I was really intrigued in with this novel specifically was like the music and the rhythm of our everyday moments and how so many, so much of like what I see in my everyday is like scored by by the rhythm of people, like the way that they move, the way that they speak, um, the way that people like stand and sit. It's just so really intriguing to me. And I think that, I think I was trying to find a way as a whole, I was trying to find a way of making Small Worlds feel like one long song. And so much of that was like just asking myself, like, where am I seeing and feeling rhythm in my everyday and then transcribing that, you know? Have you ever felt like giving up? Writing? Oh, <laughs> no way. We're going, we're going to the wheels come off. It's, it's, no, there's no way. I think I'm really good at not writing. What so does that I'm, mean? I just go outside. I just I'll go party. I'll go to concerts. I'll hang out with friends. Like, I'll... I'll allow the work as much space as it needs to before it needs to come out. Like, I'm very... I won't rush, because I know that the moment that I start rushing, we're all (laughs) in trouble. Like, it's just like... I've done that before. I think with Open Water, the first draft that I did, I was like, "Uh, this is not looking... It's not looking good. Like, I remember remember feeling at first, like, feeling really confident. I'd written for, like, a month solid, and I was just like, oh, this is, like this is good, this is nice, like, this novel thing, I can do this. <laughs> and then I went on holiday, and I sent it to my agent, and I came back, and the manuscript that I received was just red pen everywhere. And I said, ooh, this is not feeling so good. And it's because I don't think I gave it enough space at first. And so now I'm very much like, if it doesn't quite feel like I'm there, I know there's a tipping point for me. I know there's a point where I'm like, Actually, I just need to push myself off the cliff and fall. Like, I understand that. But I need to walk myself to the edge first, you know? What was that like getting your first manuscript back Mm -hmm. and seeing red (laughs) everywhere? Like, What was that like? Did that knock your confidence? How did you overcome that? For a moment, I was like, okay, so what do we do now? Then that moment lasted 
that moment lasted about five minutes. I realized I just needed to start again. I dashed all 20,000 words. Gone. Bin. So none of that is in... It's gone. It's, it doesn't exist. How different was it to the book that's published? I think the first version was a lot more experimental. It didn't have a pillar for it. I think it was exploring the same things, but it didn't... It just wasn't as grounded. I think that's probably the best way of thinking about it. But like I said earlier, like nothing's wasted. I knew I had to write those words in order to get to what Open Water became. Because once I started with the version of Open Water that you've read, it was just very much like, okay, we're, we're good to go, we're here now. And I think even between handing that draft in and the edits, I'd say we were pretty much like 95% there. Like it was really, it was really close. And so from that's where I'm always trying to get to as close as possible. Speaking about breaks, mm -hmm. you went to Ghana when you were writing Small Worlds mm -hmm. for a period of time and you went there to write, but you ended up not writing. No. <laughs> what one? Why did you decide to go to Ghana? What mm -hmm. were you looking for there? Mm -hmm. And when you didn't write, mm -hmm. what did you take away from that experience? I think there was a part of me that knew I wouldn't write. I just was. I was being. I was trying to be. <laughs> I was like, guys, I'm going to. Because actually, my paperback came out like three days before I went to Ghana, and so my convincing thing was like, oh, don't worry, I'm going to be writing while I'm out there. And I didn't do that. But I think also I knew, as I was writing Small Worlds, like, at that point, I'd just finished the the second summer. And throughout the first two summers, I was beginning to see that there was this emergence of not just an interest, but a need to understand where Stephen and perhaps myself had, like, come from as an adult. Because the last time I'd been to Ghana was when I was 12, so, like, 16 years before. Um, and that's like, yeah, it's just, it's a very different place now. And I wanted to, I want, obviously I had all of the memories and I also had all of these like images and I've got some of these, like some of these videos from that time as well, which is a really beautiful like piece of archive to have, but I knew it wouldn't be the same as like actually being there. Like, I just wanted to put my foot on the ground. I wanted to feel the place. I wanted to feel how light was there. Like I wanted to actually like be tasting the food at the time, like, I want to see my family. Like, I just wanted to see all these different places as well that I had even not seen before or just had like really kind of like vague memories of. Like, I remember when we pulled up to Labadi Beach and I was like, this is not like I remember at all. It's just a very, very different, and still really beautiful place. But the memory I have as a child versus what I saw as an adult does not align in any way. I think I've described it previously as like trying to like thicken a line I'd only previously traced back. I knew like I just needed to make more sense of where I had come from and where my parents had come from as well. And being a photographer, mm -hmm. how has that helped your writing? Because when I read your writing, it's very, mm -hmm. very descriptive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there's a line between being very descriptive mm -hmm. and doing too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't do too much. Yeah. And it also feels like you're literally describing every piece of a picture. Yeah. How do you do that? Like, what's the trick? Do you, like... So say, I don't know, we're at, at Labadi Beach. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you first of all looking at the sea or yeah. are you looking at the sky first yeah. or the people there? Like, Everything. How does it work when you're, when you're trying to like depict that image to a reader? I'm like, last week I, I made like an admission in a book club that I'm just always a little bit overstimulated. Like I just feel like I'm constantly like taking information. And I think the way that you described like the kind of seeing almost like I'm seeing a photograph and I'm just writing from that. That's how it feels like. I, even if I don't necessarily have a photograph in front of me, it's like there's an image in my mind's eye that I'm transcribing what I can see and what I can feel from. And I'm always trying to place my characters in space where there's a need, where there's a possibility for them. And so writing, for example, like writing about Stephen and Del being at the beach, like for me, the beaches and the water and the ocean has always been this really like expansive space but it's also a space that like holds so much history whether that's like beautiful or quite like painful as well and so for, for me that was a space where there was a possibility not just for grief to emerge there but also a sense of hope as well and so I'm always thinking about like the feelings that can be housed in places and how I can how I can allow the characters to work within that. I think you did that quite a lot in Open Water as well mm -hmm. just how you presented black bodies mm -hmm, in different mm -hmm, ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you use grief, you use violence, mm -hmm. you use black men trying to figure out each other out, mm -hmm. also how they are in their own groups and also how they are in the wider society. Mm -hmm. Why do you think these themes are important to explore 
And why do you think, as a black writer as mm -hmm. well, it's important for these things to, to be conveyed? Because even in your work, you don't really explain what you're trying to say. Yeah. So even with the songs you choose, yeah, yeah. someone can come from a very di different background yeah, yeah. and not yeah. know who like those what? artists yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. But you don't explain to them. You just... You're reading my yeah. book sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why do you think it's important to explore those themes? I guess for me, like, I'm always thinking about the ways in which I can, one, write for myself, and then, run, and then two, like, write for my community. I'm rarely going to explain something because to explain would take away the power. It would almost be like, I need to say this so that you get this. It's like, no, actually, if I say this to you, I know you're going to get it. That's cool. Everything else is a bonus. I'm always trying to make space for black people to see themselves, versions of themselves or people that they know. So much of media like transcribes us and codes us as quite ugly and dangerous and threatening. And like, there's just so much beauty uh, in our community that like, I just, it's like an urgency. Like I need to do it. Like I need people to like be able to see themselves and be like, yeah, that's, that's me. And that's actually like truly me as opposed to the kind of like half versions of themselves that they're seeing, you know. Have you had any experiences that have really rattled you as a black man and have made you feel like, wow? Yeah. That you become more aware of the colour of your skin. Have you had any of those experiences that have influenced your work? In open water, there's not a huge number of autobiographical things, but there is one very specific scene that I can remember that I saw when I was like five years old. We're at a petrol station, me and my mom and my dad, and I windows, my window's down, and to the right of me, there's like a young black boy. He's got like big hair, like it's summertime. He's like trying to tie it up in one plait, and the, the hairband keeps breaking, it keeps snapping. He just gives up. <laughs> and he's, he's, put, the, he's put, the, um, put the pump in, and he's like doing his petrol, and then two police vans pull up. And immediately I see him like almost like kiss his teeth. He's like, oh. again, talking, 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 talking. And I can see like the, like what we were saying earlier, like, you know, how like the temperament begins to, I can see he's getting more agitated, but he's trying to keep it cool, but they're really trying to agitate him. And then at one, I don't know what the shift was, but then like he, he like makes a move. Like he's trying to, he's almost like he's trying to get past him. And then just suddenly he's on the ground. And there's like 10 of them just like on him, like kicking him, hitting him. Like it's actually, like it's actually mad. Like, I, like even thinking about it, I can feel myself like, but to see that at five years old, like that I began to understand like how I would be coded in the world from a very early age. And it really informed how I was moving through the world, you know? I think that and actually the death of Mark Duggan that was another big moment, not necessarily for me, but to understand that maybe people that around me didn't understand how I would be coded, like that like that could have been me at any point, you know? Yeah. Wow. I think it's so interesting being a black woman, mm -hmm. reading about what black men go through. Because mm -hmm. I've actually had experience with the police as well. Yeah. But not... it was, well, my one was, I was going to the petrol station in yeah. Peckham, yeah. the Morrisons. Yeah. And it was late at night, but yeah. I was on one yeah. bar, so I yeah, needed yeah. petrol. Needed yeah, yeah. So I went into Morrison's, but yeah. I didn't realise it was closed. It was yeah. closed. Yeah. So I went in via the entrance mm -hmm. of the petrol station. Mm -hmm. No, I went in via the exit, sorry. So I went in, and then literally, it was pitch black. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, blue lights everywhere. Just everywhere. One police car called me off from the back mm -hmm. and the front. Mm -hmm. And then like eight police officers came out. Mm -hmm. And I was a new driver, so I had oh, to pee on the back. No, no, no. <laughs> and I was like... I was even thinking, wait, do I have like something in my yeah, car that yeah, I shouldn't yeah, have? Yeah. I locked my doors. Yeah. I put the window up. Yeah. I was like, what have I done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like the police officer knocked on my window yeah. and was telling him to put the window down. Yeah. And I put it down a little bit. And then he was like, oh, do you know what you've done? And I'm like, no. This is late. It's like yeah. after 11. Yeah. I was like, no, I don't know what I've done. Yeah. And then he's like, um, you came in via the exit of the petrol. No, you came in via the, the exit of the yeah, petrol yeah, station, yeah. not the entrance. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know, I could take your license away because of that. Da, 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 da. And he's like, okay, so what is your, are you, have you, have you got insurance? Yeah. Ask me all these questions. Bear in mind, there's eight and they're all men, yeah. police officers, just, like all just surrounded my car. And like, that was like my little glimpse of mm -hmm, what it's like mm -hmm. being, I don't know, stopped by the mm -hmm, police mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. being pulled over for mm -hmm. no reason. 
So I definitely understand to an extent. Yeah, yeah. What that frustration, even when you describe that story, that guy. Yeah. yeah. Why you would feel. Yeah. I always talk to to my partner and to my sister about this. Like, you can understand even if I'm not saying it to you because like you're right there as well. Like you know, like to one to know that like actually you go outside your house and you're just trying to move around. There's an understanding that as a black woman, you still experience like that interruption and that stoppage. It just comes in different forms. So it's like it's the same feeling. It's just the yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's a really good point actually. <laughs> Sorry. That's all good. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who would you like to thank for your success? There's too many to name. I feel like first and foremost, my grandma, for sure. She passed away in 2017, my maternal grandma. And that really shifted who I was as an artist in, a, in like a really big way. I definitely, I found that the the grief opened me up in a way that like I'm really, no one wants to experience grief, but I'm really grateful for the way that it did. And also, she like she lived with me for the first 10 years of my life, and so really in my mind, like, taught me how to love and also how to express that love, which is at the crux of all of all of my, my work, whether it's writing or photography or filmmaking. I'm really grateful for my family in such a big way. Like, just, I live on my own now, um, and that's been very useful for me because, like, I keep really unsocial hours. I'm <laughs> very, like, erratic in, like, the way, I'm just like, like, I work really early. I'm up at, like, five or six and then I'm just working and then like 12pm comes and I'm just on I'm on my own thing like you know what I'm saying <laughs> it's just like it's, it doesn't always fit in with everyone's but they're very patient with me and also just like support me in every which way the community just like not just artists but like people just really people that like really have read my work because that's that's the biggest thing for me that's like that someone could read something that I've read that I've like written in a very private way and that something could resonate with them and they could feel something like that's really that's all I'm asking for you know um bare people my partner like just like I just I feel very grateful to be in a position that I'm in like to have to have the space to write two novels before the age of 30 is like not something that I really imagined I'd be doing, you know? What do you think you'll be doing at this age? No idea. I knew I'd be writing. I think even, like, when I got my first publishing deal for Open Water, I don't think I understood the magnitude of it. I actually don't think, even, like, with this, with small, I'm still just, like, I just, I don't know when it sets in, you know? Like, I asked my friend Candice, who wrote Queenie, I was just like, what's the, what's the vibe? Like, when do you get used to it? Get used to what? Like, it doesn't, it just, every day just feels really beautiful for me. Like, I think it's such a privilege that I get to tell stories for a living and that, like, I get to just make the space to carve out, to carve that out for myself, first and foremost. It's it's really special. I just wanted to go back to what you mentioned about your grandma and Mm -hmm. grief. Mm -hmm. How would you say that's changed you as a person? And what are the biggest things you've learned from that experience? I think I was always quite open as a person but I think it opened me up even more it was a heartbreak that I was not prepared for because like I have lost other people and also experienced the like kind of like the grief of like losing a relationship or I think also this everyday grief that sometimes exists when you're like almost like a loss of identity in a way like which I think is something that open water really wrangled with but that was like a that was so formative the the kind of time and space that I spent with her that it really felt like something had been like yanked and torn from me and I think I began to understand that like one this is just like this part of the fabric of life but also that that I had so much time but also that like if I needed to do something I need to do it you know like it's like why would I 
if I feel something for someone or something, like, why would I not express that? Whether it's, like, saying I love you or, like, I know how I feel about writing, so why do I not go towards that practice? It's, like, it really... I think, in a way, I'm, my novels are, are ways of trying to understand what that shift is. Because as well as, like, love running through all of my novels, like, there's grief plays a really big part in it. And I think I'm I'm still writing towards that feeling, to, towards that space, you know? There was actually a thread on Twitter, mm-hmm. and it was talking about treating writing as a job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because people romanticise writing so much, mm-hmm. and the act of writing. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you have a deadline, mm-hmm. you only write when you feel like writing. Yeah. Unless it's like a your day-to-day job. Yeah. How did you get into that discipline of waking up at five, six, yeah. and writing and meeting your deadlines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love deadlines. It's really? always been, yeah, yeah, me and deadlines. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because otherwise I'd just be doing niche. I'd just be like <laughs> off over there. Like, yeah, I think it gives me, it allows me to like ground myself and to know that like there's a, almost like if there's an end to the song that has to come. Otherwise, I'd be singing for time. It'd just be like, <laughs> you'd have to take the mic from me. Um, for me, like, I guess, like, the notion of... The notion of, like, writing as a profession exists within the notion of writing as a practice. For me, like, writing as a practice is really fundamental to who I am and there's something that I'll always be doing um, and feels like it's bigger than me. But writing as a profession is, like, a, is a part of that. Um and I know I won't always be doing that necessarily. So I'm just trying to like process what you just said. So you said writing as a profession, you won't always be doing that. Yeah, but writing I'm a, I'm a as tire. a practice, you <laughs> yeah. always will. Yeah. Okay, I get you. Yeah, you know, like I think, or not necessarily. I mean, I keep threatening I'm going to retire. Not necessarily retire, but like I will be pivot evolve. Yeah, and I think I'm definitely even as like my career as such like grows. I'm finding that like I'm attracted to different things or that the remit in a way as well as expanding is like growing smaller. It's like, oh, this is what I really love and this is what I really want to be doing. So just allowing myself the space to go towards that. Is that one of the reasons why you did a picture book to kind of accompany mm-hmm. the book? Yeah. I think I have always wanted to allow my like different artistic practices to meet and to to intersect and this for me felt like a the perfect opportunity because i the book doesn't feel like a separate thing i think i would i would call it a companion to small worlds for sure and it's the same feelings it's just a slightly different mode of expression would you say there's anyone's career that you're jealous of no, 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 no. This is like, this is enough for me, you know. This is, this Content. is good. We're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely less jealousy and more inspiration. Like, I think there's so many artists that, like, really, like, I see their work or I experience their work and I'm like, oh, like, this is special. Like, and it really allows me to, like, think bigger and to expand on what I think might be possible for me as an artist. So the next section of the podcast is where we talk about your writing rituals, mm-hmm. so your practices, mm-hmm. your disciplines, how you do what you do. Mm-hmm. And the first question I'd like to ask you is, whose writing do you admire? Toni Morrison. Why? That's my dog. I feel like each of her sentences is so precise, but it just expands beyond the point of the sentence. And then it means that the paragraph is not just a paragraph, it's like so much bigger. I think the ways in which she allows her voice to meander and to like go off piece but somehow it's still so like relevant like it's always it's never tangential it's always just like it's such a there's such a pulse to her work but it's also just like this documents that exist of like various black lives that feel so specific to like where she's from but still resonate with me I think it's so beautiful I think it's so so beautiful could you talk me through your creative writing process because you already mentioned that you wake up really early, mm-hmm. but how does that, what's your day-to-day like? When I'm, like, working on the project, because right now I'm, like, kind of working on stuff, but I'm not in the, like, 
what do I call it? I'm not in the trenches right now. I'm in the, I'm, I'm walking towards there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Right, right now it's cool, it's easy. If you see me in like a couple months, a different story. I'm shaving, <laughs> like just, like we're in the trenches. I think when I'm in the trenches, it's like, wake up, exercise, eat breakfast. By 7 a.m., the coffee's on. And not even for like waking, it's just like, it's more ritual and anything. I write exclusively in shorts and crocs. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. It's, when did that come about? Uh, when I got my studio. And I realised that like, because I wrote my first novel from the British Library. And so you can't be wearing like any riffraff or what, what <laughs> yeah. like you can't just be wandering. Well, Don't you can if you, want, if you want to. It's just like, I'm African. Like, I'm not <laughs> so I think for me, like being in the studio, I just do, I can do whatever I want. Like I can... That's a, it's been really useful to have. It's like a 24-hour space. It's got all of my books in there. It's got all my notes in there. Like, I can throw whatever on the walls. Um, is it at your house or is it... Oh, no, oh, elsewhere. Yeah, okay. so it feels also feels like I'm going to work. And that's nice. And when I close the door, the building isn't soundproof, but I can't hear anything. So I close the door and for, like, between 7 and 12, that's my writing time. And the phone goes in a drawer. I'm not... You're not hearing from me. I'm not hearing from you. Like, if you, I'll know if it's an emergency because the people who need to call me, it will, it will ring. But otherwise, <laughs> no, no, no. It's me and the page, and I've like that's my favorite time when it's like, especially when it's earlier in the day, and I feel really fresh. And I can't hear anything. It's like I can only hear my own voice. Um, I do play music. Like I usually have, either I have a playlist going that's specific to the novel, or I'm playing whatever song I might be in the scene that I'm writing about. So, like, in the opening chapters of Small Worlds, like, there's grime being played, and so I'll play those songs until I'm done or until I'm sick. It's one of the two. Like, it's just, like, I'll like I'll just have the music there because I'm just trying to get, like, close to what the, feel, like, the feeling that it might elicit in me if I was in that position, you know? It's even, like, the opening of Small Worlds where they're in church mm -hmm. and, like, the brothers are observing their parents, mm -hmm. but they're also observing the congregation. Mm -hmm. And you described it as, I think you used the word ecstasy. Yeah. So that feeling, would you mm -hmm. say that was the way that you worked backwards yeah. to describe the chapter? Yeah. If that makes sense? Yeah. That's the like top point of the, of the okay. of both parts of the chapter. Okay. And so it's like, actually I work, I work towards it. Like I, because that feeling of, Ecstasy, I don't think is that far removed from the things that we might experience in our everyday. Like, you ever been at like a party or something and like your song comes on and you're free drinks in and then suddenly you're just like, what? Like, you're trying to grab everybody. That's ecstasy right there. It's different. It's different. Like, I think that, okay. yeah, you know, it's like, it's not, for me, like the, that opening scene or scenes are like mirrors of each other. Like the there are two churches, like the church in the traditional sense and then the house party that the brothers are experiencing. Like they're getting to the same place, it's just different routes, you know? I like that. You write in second person narrative a lot mm -hmm. and you do it very well. Thank you. And it's very hard to do. What are your top tips for writing in second person narrative? And also, why did you decide to write your books in that way? The second person allows me a sense of intimacy. It allows me to ask the reader to not only be audience but like participant you in, as a reader ask a question that's on the page you're actually having to ask yourself what it is and you're really like you're as close as possible without without it feeling claustrophobic you know the decision to use that with open water and with small worlds felt very instinctive so I think my big thing is always like is what I was saying earlier it's trying to find a it's trying to make sure that you know what your feeling is before you find a form if the feeling is calling for intimacy that like that's what I'd always go towards and really trusting that that's the form that's that's necessary I think so much of so much of the second person is trust because it's like a very tight line that you're having to walk without it feeling like you're just saying you're just starting a sentence with you like each time like and that's it it's like actually it expands the narrative because you're like you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper like for me it's always the second person allows me to go a bit further than like than other. I think the first maybe, especially having done small worlds, but the second person allows me to go further than the third. It just there's a sense of like I'm not observing, like you're actually inside it, you know. 
And is that what naturally came to you when you started writing? Or, yeah. or were we intentional? Yeah. Okay. yeah, like I think that it wasn't that it was like, oh, I'm going to like utilise this. It's like actually for the intimacy, like it just came, it felt like it just came out at that point. And for other people who would like to write in a similar fashion mm-hmm. or to explore second person narrative, yeah. what sort of advice would you give them? I think the second person, not only do you need to know what the emotions are, like I think there has to be like real intention behind it. Like something that I'm always trying to do at least is like give that form like a sense of precision because I think when it gets a bit too loose, it, it almost falls in on itself. And so for me, it's like actually that's where you need to be a bit tighter as a writer personally anyway. Do you have any insecurities when it comes to your writing? I think because I know that like I'm so excited about what my writing looks like when I turn 40, when I turn 50, because this is this place that I'm working from now, like I'm like I I love and I'm like really hearing my voice, but what like the the work for me is only gonna like continue to get better as I continue to pour more into my practice. And there's an interview that I read of Kendrick Lamar's a few years back. We were talking to Ro, uh, Rolling Stone, and he they asked him like what he was working on now, and he said like his big his like big project was like the lifelong process of discovery and trying working out how he could get better. And for me, that's always the thing. Like it's, I know there are things that I do better than others and it's not about being like, well, I'll dash the rest away. It's just like, how do I continue to discover different parts of my practice that just improve my work, you know? Your books mm-hmm. are being adapted for the screen. They are. One, what is that like? And two, how different is it? Or have you found it mm. adapting a novel to the screen, like screenwriting, mm-hmm. how was that process like? It's been interesting. <laughs> is it harder? The hard part was working out what the process was going to be like for me. For both novels, I found myself dismantling them and almost like asking myself what was at the core and the crux of the novel and then reassembling with a more visual language in mind and not just being like, okay, well, this is chapter one, so it's going to go here. Okay. It's like I know that with screenwriting and and with filmmaking there's more room that I have to play with from like a pacing perspective or like even from like a linear perspective I don't have to be like this is here or this is here there's things I can do on the page that I can't do on the screen but there are things I can do with the screen that I can't do on the page and and so it's leaning into that and not feeling like like I never want to just copy and paste the book over there like I want it to feel like an adaptation I want it to feel like it couldn't possibly exist in that form on the page you know so how have you gone about doing that? I think really leaning into my my practice as a visual artist and trying to find, for both novels, but specifically with Open Water, which is a bit further along in the process, is trying to find like a visual language for the feelings I'm trying to express, for actually like really specifically trying to find a visual language for intimacy and like black intimacy and working out how like from like references or like from films I've seen or like images I've seen or just like everyday life, like working out how each frame is communicating this sense of like intimacy and longing. like And that being almost like my A5 bit of paper, like that being my North Star, you know. Now that you've gone back to the work, especially Open Water, mm. are there bits where you'd be like, oh, I would have changed that, I would have written that differently. Do you have yeah. that? moment those moments nah, no nah, no which i'm really grateful for because actually one of the things i was like oh i'm gonna go back and i'll be like ah, what's that doing there <laughs> um i feel really grateful that like each i guess for me like a novel is a document it's an archive of myself at that precise moment and at each mo- like those moments i look back on and i s- still feel satisfied to where we came to at the end of that yeah what's a piece of feedback that you have like held really closely to you that informs your writing today? I don't know if it's a piece of feedback, but a piece of advice that my agent gave me in our first meeting before she'd even ever like even signed me was that writing is fictionalizing memory. And I've never forgotten that. Like so much of my practice is dictated by that notion of not just it's not necessarily like writing from memory or being like, this is what I remember or this is what I know, but like encouraging a sense of like finding a way of honing in on emotions and creating like fictional things around those has been yeah like really invaluable I think. And what was the journey from 
leaving uni and getting an agent? What was that process like? Long. <laughs> long. I think it was long. It was as long as it needed to be. But I've, I spent a good couple of years looking for an agent and getting a lot of, we really like your writing, but there's no market for it. Which is like a really interesting response. I've heard that me. a lot in many different ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really grateful for my agent and the way that we met. Like, I think that, like, it, again, it was just like emailing, but like there was just this immediate enthusiasm for not just my work at that point, but where it could go. And I, since then, have just like, that's my brethren. Like, we've got like, we're super close, but like, I really trust her in terms of her taste and her instinct for my work and like, as a guide and, and someone who I can, like, sound off of. Like, I just really invaluable. What would you say is your writing pet peeve? Bad dialogue. Bad dialogue. If it... Especially when it comes to us. I'm like, <laughs> guys, that's not what we sound like. I'm, I know it. I know it. <laughs> because I think also, like, di- like, the way that people speak is, like, so, like, individual to them and the rhythm of it, the cadences of it, the like, the, the kind of, like, vocab that people use and so when I hear it like it's not you know when it feels like something's been stuffed into someone's mouth it's like that but why do you think that happens though because I think writing dialogue is actually a lot harder than it seems it is it is it is writing dialogue is a lot about listening and I think sometimes people are hearing what they want to hear as opposed to listening so what would you say is the best and hardest thing about being a black writer I guess it's the same answer, that the work that I do feels bigger than me. When I did an event with my little sister a few weeks ago, which was really beautiful, at Brixton Library, it's really special, and I was talking to her, and she asked a similar question, and asked, also asked what like my writing meant um, to me and to my community. And there's a interlude on one of Skepta's albums where Chip calls him up, and Skepta's sounding like tired etc etc and like I've known that exhaustion on so many occasions and like Chip says to him like the mission's deeper and that's how it feels for me it's like the work just feels so much bigger than than just me but I also know that I have to take care of myself in order to be able to like give um I think that we are asked for more but like it's a position that like I gladly will take and operate from because I understand the difference that my work makes to the community it's it's like it is really, it's just like every every time I meet like a like a black person who's interacted with my work in any way, I'm just really humbled that like you that they would even feel anything or if it would like reach towards me in that sort of way. And in in another way, like reach towards themselves, because that's what I'm always asking my work to do and what I'm also asking my readers to do. And so for me it's that. It's just that the work is is bigger. And that's not necessarily like bad or good. It just it is, you know. So is there anything that frustrates you then about being a black writer. Yeah, the industry's rubbish. <laughs> but I won't, we won't get into that. Get into <laughs> okay. But it's like, there's just a lot more that the industry could be doing. There was a time in which a lot of our voices were being valued and being pushed into like the mainstream as such. And that time is beginning to dwindle. And I think I'm always asking... Not myself necessarily, because I don't have the keys, but to people who do have the keys to ask themselves, like, how to restructure so that we're not constantly, like, having to go towards and to ask for stuff. Like, how, what would it look like for these things not to be, like, exceptions, but to be more normalised, you know? So, I like to ask guests what advice they'll give to other black writers based off their careers, their lessons learned, and the things that they will do differently in hindsight, what would you tell other black writers to consider? Big advice is, like, trusting yourself. So much of writing, I think, is whatever you're writing feels like an act of faith. It feels like you're... Like, I feel like when I think too much about writing, it falls apart. Like, I'm like, this thing where you're, like, asking yourself to put language to thoughts, feelings time, space, etc. Like, it's it's a lot. But I think knowing that, knowing one, that there's like not a wrong answer, there's just a way that you need to tell your story, for me has always been a thing, has always been really useful because it means you can just lean into that space, like really trusting that 
the story you need to tell is, and that only you can tell, is going to come out right if you trust yourself. And so that's been a really big thing for me. I think cultivating a sense of discipline is really useful. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be up at whatever time. It's like finding the pockets of time that work for you and work around your schedule because like, I'm lucky enough to be able to write full-time, but there was a time that that wasn't the case for me. And so for me, I was always like, okay, this is when I know I'm fresh or this is when I know I will have this time. And really protecting that time, I think that's like, that's such a big thing for me. Like if I know if I'm writing between 10 and 12, no one's talking to me, no one's hearing from me. Because that's your time. It's a time that you get to like converse with yourself and you have to make space for that. To be surprised and to like be curious about both yourself and the world is really important. Like I'm constantly just going down like Google rabbit holes that have no real relevance to my work. But like sometimes you find a glimmer or a glimpse of something and it's not a waste, it's not wasted time. It's just like you have to go through the stuff to get to the stuff. And then go outside, just go if you drink, go drink. If you <laughs> if you dance, go dance. Like find the time in which you like actually can just be yourself. Find the spaces in which you can be like your most honest version of yourself and really hold on to that. Um and ask yourself what it might mean to be honest in your own writing practice too. What about rejection? Because you said that before you met your agent, that mm-hmm. a lot of people were saying, we like your writing, but it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of black writers have heard that in many stages of their mm-hmm. life, from school, mm-hmm. that you're, it's good, but it's not good mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. How did you, how have you managed to turn that into something positive? Very stubborn. <laughs> Start like, I mean, being stubborn is good, especially when you understand that there's more at play than just the work that you're doing. But also really asking yourself again, like, where is the home? For me, like it's not the home for everyone else. It's not necessarily the home for us. And really being kind to yourself in the face of rejection because it's not always just about the work. Um, but maybe sometimes listening when it is about the work. Sometimes, mm-hmm. it, sometimes it is and that's okay. Your time's always coming, which is a hard thing to like, I've always found that to, to be hard to swallow, but I'm getting better at it. I really enjoyed that conversation with Caleb. I guess now you can see why I refer to his work as beautiful. Be sure to order his new book, Small Worlds, which is out now, and his debut novel, Open Waters, if you haven't already. And as usual, if you made it to the end of this episode, thank you. Thank you for the support, and I hope you've enjoyed it. You can find me on social media, Black Post Pod. I'd love to know what you thought about this episode and whether you've read any of Caleb's books. Get in touch, and I'll speak to you soon.